is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Oh, there's so much going on out there, isn't there, America? Oh, yes. A great deal. First of all, I want to talk briefly about Bob Dole. You know, when I was a very young man, seems like forever ago, 50 years ago or so, a buddy and I, actually uh, probably more like 45 years ago, doesn't matter. Eric Christensen, who I grew up with like a brother to me and to our family. We used to get involved in uh, Republican politics, precinct workers, college Republicans to some extent. Um, but we attended a big event in Washington. We were young guys. I'd never done that before. Um, and uh, we actually got to stay over in a hotel. Hadn't done that much either. And um, I was at this event, and my buddy Eric decided to go to Capitol Hill. And he, uh, he asked to meet with Senator Bob Dole. Now, he's a kid from outside Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, barely old enough to vote. I don't think we were old enough to vote. I think it was, I think we were 16 or 17. And... Um, even though it was the college Republicans. And Bob Dole sat down with him in his office, spoke to him, and couldn't have been nicer. I met Bob Dole once, I think, maybe twice. Always extremely generous with his time. He didn't care who you were. And that's the kind of guy this man was. And he was a World War II hero. A hero. And he was, by some people, written off as dead. That's how bad his injuries were. And it was near the end of World War II. And, um, you know, the truth is, he wasn't a hardball-throwing conservative. At times he was. But he was an interesting and, in some ways, a complex politician. Not a complex man, but a complex politician. 
if he could deal with you, he would deal with you. In other words, he would try and work things out. If he couldn't, then he couldn't. There's some things he was, uh, you know, very, very strong and solid about, and other things he was more open to negotiation and so forth. Um, I also remember when my boss during the Reagan administration, Ed Meese, was under these vicious, venal, vile, poisonous attacks because this is what the Democrat Party does. I remember Bob Dole was always supportive and very friendly to Ed Meese. So especially if you were under attack, he could be counted on. Uh, whether fighting for the country against the uh, Nazis uh, or uh, fighting for the country in the halls of Congress. And so I think he will be missed. And I just wish I had known that he had stage four lung cancer. I had not known that. I understand it was announced, but the media gave it almost no attention, given what was going on in February of this year. But, um, I mean, I have letters that he sent me as a kid when he headed the Republican National Committee. Think about all the things he did. He was a congressman, he was a senator, he was a vice presidential uh, candidate, presidential candidate. Um, even when he ran against Reagan, I remember that, in 1980, he was always polite. He was always very nice. And uh, God, did he love this country. God, did he love this country. And you see, that's a huge difference between men like Bob Dole and people like AOC and the American Marxists in this country. Do they act like they love America? No, they don't. They have a stranglehold on the Democrat Party. Do most of the media in this country act like they love America? No, they don't. They're basically uh, inexperienced, narcissistic, relatively young, who've contributed nothing to the betterment of this country, not a damn thing. And they think they deserve everything they've got, even though it was handed them on a silver platter where people before them really plowed the, uh, plowed the fields for them. Uh, but Bob Dole deserves to be remembered as a, as a great and wonderful man. Again, you don't have to agree with everything, but it doesn't matter. A great and wonderful man he was. And uh, I certainly appreciated him as a young man and, and as I got older. You know, the thing is, folks, you know, I'm an activist. I fight with brass knuckles at times when I feel I need to. No question about that. But if there are people I disagree with who are good people, who love this country, who have served this country, I don't treat them that way. If there are people, on the other hand, who seek to destroy the conservative base or pushing a completely separate agenda while the country is struggling uh, and trying to fight and engage these, uh, these people who are pulling us down, that's a whole other issue. I would never compare uh, Bob Dole to... Uh, to some of these other politicians in Washington. And Bob Dole was a much different majority leader than Mitch McConnell, uh, who just, to me, is, uh, and he's the longest-serving Republican leader, McConnell, and for no reason, really. All right, I've said my piece. There was an article today in The Federalist by Margot Cleveland, who's a good writer. Corporate media systemic corruption is far worse than Chris Cuomo's cover-up for his brother which is exactly, I think, what I said 
last Friday, right, Mr. Producer? That this is, it's much bigger than the Cuomo's. And she has beautiful examples in her piece, nice and consistently, and I should say, uh, very clearly laid out in that piece. But if you want to know the real extent of the corporate media's systemic corruption, I wrote about it in Unfreedom of the Press. It's chapter and verse, literally, of how corrupt this so-called profession is and has become. It's not really a profession anymore. They have no respect, no respect for how the people think or how the people react or what the people believe or how smart the people are. You know, in, in many respects, like my show, if I don't get ratings consistently, I won't be here. If I don't have fantastic sponsors who pay good money to run commercials on this program to reach you, I won't be here. At CNN, if they have low ratings and bring in limited amount of sponsorships, it doesn't matter because they're backed by a behemoth global corporation that's willing to take losses. So there's no connection between what CNN is doing and what's going on in the world. They can have this relatively small cabal with a relatively small audience. They can have perverts and sexual harassers and circle jerks and whatever else they have over there push an ideological agenda of a guy like Jeff Zucker who was protected and paid an enormous amount of money by these, these massive corporatists and global corporations. So there's no consequences. There's, there's no connection between reality and what they do. The same as with MSNBC. You have Comcast that owns MSNBC and NBC. So you can have a, a flat-out, out-of-the-closet, homophobe and racist like Joy Reid, and she's not the only one. There's many on MSNBC. You can have many. And there's no connection between ratings, profit, and so forth and so on. And so they do this. Same with the New York Times. And, and then they talk about how immune the newsroom has to be from politics, when in fact these newsrooms are infused with politics. The politics of the radical extremist American Marxist movement. The New York Times has been political since after its founder died in the mid-18s, uh, I guess the mid to late 1870s. As uh, this incestuous family, one after another, inherits the corporation, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And so here you have a corporation. The New York Times is a corporation. Here you have a corporatist media platform that is hailed by other corporations in this field and by Democrat politicians and so forth. And even rhinos who leak to it relentlessly as the gold standard. Now, how can you have a gold standard for a media corporation whose job it is to report the news that lies about Stalin and what he did to Ukraine? And you have a new Stalinist who wants to do the same thing to Ukraine, invade it. Or lies about the Holocaust and covers it up for most of the war. And lies about Castro and helps install him to the great deprivation of tens of thousands, if not millions, of Cubans. 
and a and a corporation that pushes and gets Pulitzer prizes a a Russia hoax lie and tries to take out a sitting president of the United States. It's it's absolutely incredible, and this is the gold standard. Well, if that's the gold standard, what about silver and bronze? No better. In fact, just as bad. And so Margot Cleveland's exactly right over at the Federalist. This isn't about the Cuomos. It's not about the Cuomos. Cuomos are irrelevant. They're a joke. They're a circus act. They walked in their father's shadow and they could never keep up. And he was this huge radical lib that the Democrats like to promote, Mario. An awful governor, in my humble opinion. But that's beside the point. At least the guy had standards and morals, unlike his children. Unlike his children, for which most of the rest of this came very, very easy. But this is about a media. It's about a media in this country that it is a propaganda operation for the American Marxist radical extremist movements in this country. And they lie. Black Lives Matter, Antifa burning down cities, beating people, some cases killing people. Okay, well that's mostly peaceful as you know. Or you look at what, how Kyle Rittenhouse was treated. Grotesque. Absolutely appalling. But didn't matter. And I can go down the list. It's one case after another. Covering up the Hunter Biden scandal. It's not even the Hunter Biden scandal. It's more than the Hunter Biden scandal. It's the Joe Biden scandal that they're still covering up. Which is absolutely appalling. And then... What they do to Trump, they're still going after Trump to this day. To this day. Unbelievable. So this is about a corrupt, propagandistic, ideological media in this country. And chapter and verse is on freedom of the press. And again, this is one of the reasons I... I, I'm really, really not shocked, not disturbed... But disappointed, I think that's the right word. In so much of the non-corporate media, much of it in the conservative uh, sphere, with websites and independent reporters and so forth, who pretend this show doesn't exist. Shame on them. Who pretend these books don't exist. And Freedom of the Press must have sold almost half a million copies and really laid out the case of the press. And so when you hear people on radio and TV, and I haven't heard any of them, but when you hear people on, cable, on radio and TV, as people email me, who are saying things that we discussed decades ago and that I wrote about four years ago extensively for a reason, who never even acknowledged these arguments have been made and exist, I think we lose a lot of time and a lot of ground I think we lose a lot of time and a lot of ground to deal with these problems. I think we really do because of this uh, perversion within our uh, movement or within, uh, I guess we could say, our community. All right, a lot more. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, it's interesting, folks. We spent many years here behind this microphone. We, me, speaking with you, talking about the threats of China growing, Iran growing, and Russia growing. You had people on radio and TV who downplayed Russia, say we were Russia-phobes, people talking about neocons and all the rest. And I tried to explain again and again and again. There are real-world reasons to have a very muscular military, a very muscular foreign policy, and a very uh, muscular national security apparatus generally. Not to fight wars that we have no intention of winning, but there are wars that may be fought that we have to win in order to survive. And so the people who were protectionists, I don't mean protectionists, the people who were really ostriches, if you will, with their heads in the sand, many of whom you know, I suppose, uh, were just wrong, as far as I was concerned. If Iran has nuclear weapons, they can, they can destroy the United States. And that is a, a regime that is not rational. Um, and you see what China's up to. China's trying to defeat us uh, just by threatening us, and we've talked about China for years and years, and of course Russia too. I want to tell you, uh, I want to go through each one of these situations with you when we return. Uh, I understand that uh, I'm supposed to talk about Chris Cuomo for the next 47 and a half minutes, but I'm not going to do it. You want to know why? I don't give an S about Chris Cuomo. He means nothing to me. CNN is dying on the vine, and it should. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the voice of liberals fear most and you can call mark at 877-381-3811 let me say a couple things before i jump into this other area the media will never report on the media the media will never report on the media that's why i wrote unfreedom of the press somebody has to report on the media now, even putting unfreedom of the press aside, this is why all the focus on Cuomo or some guy drops his pants and does what he does and all the incidences and rather than the so-called profession itself. The profession is not a profession. It is now a political ideology. It has destroyed freedom of the press. It's now tyranny of the press. These are propagandists. We support a free press. We support with these mostly young uh, independent journalists do with modern technology on their own very inexpensive really in some cases putting their their, uh, their their lives on the line their bodies on the line 
uh, when they go into these situations like the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, situation where the, the mob was and where the rioting was taking place. That's who we're getting factual information from. That's who juries rely on, not the big media. And you got Pulitzer Prizes being handed out to people over the uh, Russia collusion hoax. Hillary Clinton should be going to prison over that. Hillary Clinton should be in front of a federal grand jury for what she did to this country and what she did to the election system. Nobody's putting a microphone in Hillary Clinton's face and asking her questions about what she did here. She's not being held accountable for anything. Your Pulitzer Prize is handed to reporters at the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes. They're not required to give them back. Any more than Walter Durante was required to give his back when he was a front for Joseph Stalin. And he and the New York Times were lying to the American people. So the media in this country has caused grave problems. When you have a company like Comcast, who's in most of your homes, cable system, who's putting people like uh, Joy Reid or Al Sharpton on television, and in the case of Joy Reid, her racism is beyond that of anybody else, or somebody named Tiffany Cross, who I never heard of before, who is just making these outlandish comments and uh, really instigating, in my view, uh, violence, instigating hate, instigating racism. When you have people who come on television and, and lie, flat-out lie about critical race theory being taught in the schools and so forth, you know, let the American people decide. Let the parents decide. Let us make determinations about what kind of a country we want to have. The goal of the media are not to be a political arm of the Democrat Party, which is a political arm of the American Marxist movements in this country. The media is protected because they're supposed to protect us with information so we can draw conclusions. The media in the United States could work just as easily for communist China or some other autocratic regime because that's, that's the habits it's, uh, it's embraced. So I wanted to point that out. Uh, because it's very, very damaging. Now, I want to get into this. I'm going to start with Russia and Ukraine. Most of you don't know this. Many years ago, I talked about this the first time Russia invaded Ukraine. In 1994, I want you to remember this, because you're not hearing this on any of the so-called news platforms. To my knowledge, not one. In 1994... There was an agreement reached. It's known as the Budapest Memorandum, signed in 1994. I just heard a, uh, a great news person on uh, one of the cable channels say, uh, you know, we have no treaty with Ukraine. We have no treaty with, uh, with Taiwan. But we have a very, very important agreement. And it's not just us with the country of Ukraine. And what is this agreement? Well, when the old Soviet Union collapsed, guess what? Ukraine had been part of it. It had been part of the territory. And around one-third of the nuclear, I guess, arsenal that the Soviet Union had was in Ukraine, including nuclear missiles and nuclear silos, missile silos. And as Stephen Pfeiffer, who's a former ambassador uh, to Ukraine, has pointed out, Ukraine, in its territory, had more nuclear weapons than Britain, France, and China at that point combined, 1994. It had the third biggest arsenal of nuclear missiles. So people were concerned about this. And negotiations began with Ukraine, and Ukraine said, look, we'll give up all our nuclear missiles. We'll give them up. 
But we need to have an agreement that our independence and security will be honored and protected by the countries that are involved in this agreement. And what were the countries? The United States and Russia, the two primary countries, as well as Britain. But the United States and Russia, joined by Great Britain, they gave those assurances in this Budapest 1994 Budapest Memorandum of Security Assurances. That's what it was called. They gave the assurances to Ukraine. So Ukraine gave up every one of its nuclear weapons. Since Putin has been in power, clawed his way to the top, murders his way to stay there, they're continuing threatening Ukraine because they know Ukraine does not have these nuclear weapons. And they know Ukraine does not have the military power that Russia proper has. They don't have the conventional power. Moreover, under Obama, they refused to give them offensive weapons. President Trump gave them some significant offensive weapons, including our cutting-edge technology on these tank-killer weapons uh, that infantry can carry and that can reload. And they can even take out Russia's modern tanks, which they now have on the border with Ukraine. And they had 100,000 troops there last week, and today they have more. That is Russia. And so um, this is a huge problem. But how many of you knew about the 1994 Budapest Memorandum of Security Assurances? How many of you knew that Ukraine surrendered its nuclear weapons in in, 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 in exchange for guarantees, not just by the United States and Great Britain, but Russia, to recognize and accept its independence and help protect its security. Now look at the situation. So Russia is in violation to uh, this agreement. And we're part of this agreement. We're part of this agreement. And, you know, people want to back off. People want to pretend that we have no responsibility. I mean, obviously, we don't want to go to war with Russia. But what, what has led to this? What has led to this situation? When Donald Trump was president, the Russians didn't have 100,000 troops and growing with their most modern cutting-edge tanks on the border with Ukraine. What's changed here? We'll get into that in a moment. Now let's take a look at Iran. Let's take a look at Iran. Biden was part of the administration that cut a deal with Iran that ensured that in 10 years Iran would have nuclear weapons. Because after 10 years, there would be no holds barred. No holds barred. And what Netanyahu and his government said at the time was, hey, look, I got to look beyond 10 years. We can't cut a deal. Plus, this is a terrorist state. You can cut a deal all you want. They're not going to comply with anything. I mean, do we remember why we call things terrorist or terrorism? Or individuals terrorists? It's because they don't follow the rules of war. Otherwise, you're facing a standing army. You're facing uh, you have POWs and that sort of thing. But terrorists, terrorism... Those are words that have meaning. Those are words that have history. 
So for an example, if somebody is trying to blow up civilian buildings uh, by, by uh, not declaring war, not wearing uniforms, not using the usual uh, sort of weaponry of war and so forth, that's a terrorist. It's a terrorist. You've seen so many of these commercials, have you not? Tunnels to Towers... Uh, other, so many other charities, so magnificent charities, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to help men and women who have been horrifically disformed as a result of a war, whether in Afghanistan or Iraq or elsewhere. Iran is responsible for the EADs and other, and other weaponry that was used to do this to the American soldier. Acts of terrorism. And so they would plant bombs. They would do other things that had as their purpose to cripple American soldiers. Kill them or cripple them. That's Iran. And in response, we've given Iran now access to the world's economies. We've given them access to tens of billions of dollars. We've given them access to China and Russia's economies. And now we have this access of the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, the genocidal regime in Beijing, and the fascistic regime in Moscow. That's what's taking place now. Not to mention, of course, North Korea. I want to, talk, I want to explore this. It's going to take more than three minutes. I want to explore this. And why all the, the rising tensions now with Russia and Ukraine, now with Iran and its nuclear program, where it has blown off the Biden administration, any concessions whatsoever, because it's within a month or weeks of having nuclear weapons, according to the Biden administration. And then I want to spend time on China next hour uh, in an expansive way with our friend Congressman Mike Waltz. Uh, these are very, very important issues, most of which are being touched on surface level, if at all, in the corporate media. But ladies and gentlemen, we better get our act together. We better get prepared for war because war is coming. You're going to have hosts all over the media who are going to say, I warned you about where are they now? I'm telling you is the lone voice, but I hope it'll be regurgitated. War's coming. It's coming because of the aggressiveness of our enemies and the provocations of our government led by Joe Biden. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So before the break, I said, what is the, uh, what's the common denominator? Afghanistan's the common denominator. We all knew it. We all said it. We have the worst senior officials at the Pentagon in modern American history. 
they do the bidding of the editorial pages of the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes. And uh, they are cowards. I don't mean in their individual capacity as military men. I mean in their policy-making decisions as top officials at the Pentagon. What they did in Afghanistan, including leaving American citizens behind who were still... Whatever happened to all those children who were left behind, Mr. Producer? Many of them are still there. What happened to the school children? What happened, folks? And all the people who were friends and allies who helped protect the lives of American citizens. What happened to them? Media has lost interest. But the communist Chinese regime, the fascistic Putin regime, and the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, not to mention the inbred in North Korea, they monitor all of this very, very closely. They're monitoring what goes in our country now. They're monitoring our media, how they pay so little attention to the buildup of our enemies, have very little concern. They monitor what comes out of Nancy Pelosi's mouth uh, to the extent anyone can figure it out. They see that we're weakened from within by the Democrat Party, by this president, and by their various surrogates. They see that that we really don't believe uh, in ourselves, that uh, we are undermining ourselves. They have a communist movement in this country uh, that is not necessarily directly related to the communist Chinese, but they've paid a fortune on a propaganda effort, buying off colleges and universities, uh, infiltrating this country with students, no doubt participating in riots and the other things that took place in this country. They have spent a lot of time and money, you know, focusing on how to take us down from within and how to weaken us and our resolve. And they, in the internal domestic American Marxist movement, have been successful in many, many ways. And so if you don't build up the military, if you're not prepared for war, you wind up with war and you wind up with many, many more casualties. How much attention has been paid by the media tonight on Russia, China, and Iran, as opposed to Chris Cuomo? How much? I bet more time has been spent on Chris Cuomo. And even there, rather than talk about the cancer that is today the American press, they want to talk about Chris Cuomo who's of no consequence. He's now gone from the face of the earth for all intents and purposes when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to substantive input on what goes on in this country. So Afghanistan. So the nation needs to focus. There needs to be national attention on what's going on with China, Russia, and Iran. And the media has a job to help us focus, but they won't. And they're not going to. We might go to war. And I've argued war's coming. Does it sound like we're ready as a people? Does it sound like we're psychologically ready for this? Does it sound like our leaders are ready for this? I'm gravely concerned. And I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So I told you about this 1994 deal, the Budapest. 
Whitaker's deal, <coughs> excuse me, with Ukraine. And of course, Russia is not honoring it, are they? You know, there was an arrangement made with Great Britain over Hong Kong with the communist Chinese regime. Um, and uh, that arrangement was to be lasting, was to last a much longer period. And communist China doesn't care. Xi just abrogated the deal and basically annexed Hong Kong, which was a fantastic, uh, fantastic free capitalist country, if you will. Little tiny island. People love to go there, do business there, financial center, production center, and China destroyed it. We have, an, we have an arrangement with Taiwan. People say we don't have a treaty. We have an arrangement with Taiwan. And the only reason it's ambiguous is because Jimmy Carter made it ambiguous. It's one of the issues Ronald Reagan ran for president on. Panama Canal, Taiwan foreign policy generally, as well, of, co- of course, domestic policy. And so the Democrats are selling out our allies all the time, while accusing President Trump and others of selling out our allies. But it is they, which is why I have no stomach for the never-Trumpers, some of whom have been hawks in the past, worked for the Bush administration in the past, made a mess of things. Cheney, what a disgrace. I mean, seriously. In the face of what's going on now? So Trump didn't stand for any of this. You know, uh, when it comes to Taiwan, Taiwan was not an issue. Hopefully you saw these part two of my interview with Trump where he said he made it abundantly clear. He made it clear to Xi, keep your hands off Taiwan. We didn't have flyovers with nuclear bombers from uh, China or jet fighters, hundreds and hundreds over the course of several months. Intensified even more now. <coughs> Excuse me, we didn't have that. But we have it now. Now look at Iran. Israel literally has to make a decision now because the United States State Department, on behalf of this ridiculous president, has told the Israelis you're not to initiate military action against Iran. Well, if you're going to defeat an enemy that outnumbers you, if you're going to defeat an enemy and take as few losses as possible, you need to have the option of surprise and offense. Of course, you can't wait to be attacked. One of the reasons the Israelis won, one of many, the 1967 war, is because they went on attack. Nasser was working with the other countries to economically choke off Israel. They were preparing a military attack, and Israel attacked first. And Israel needs to attack first when it comes to Iran. They can't wait for them to have a nuclear weapon. So this administration is forcing Israel to decide between its own survival and the survival of its relationship with the current U.S. government. Because that's the choice the Israelis have to make now. Are they going to defend themselves against what is, I don't like this word existential, because, you know, 98% of Democrats don't know what it means. Survival whether it's going to survive because Iran has said it wants to destroy Israel. And with nuclear weapons, it can do that. Or 
or will its relationships with the United States government survive? And it's going to have to choose the former. But that is the position that the Biden administration, the Biden Secretary of State, the Biden National Security Advisor have placed the state of Israel. So you have that in Israel. Excuse me, you have that in the Middle East with Israel, our ally, that has, has a, 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 a terrible decision to make. You have, uh, when it comes to communist China, another ally, Taiwan. It's a terrible situation. And then when it comes to Russia, we have a third ally, Ukraine. These are allies that are now on defense. Now, if we do not stand up to this, and it gets increasingly more complicated by the hour, what do you think North Korea is going to do with South Korea? What do you think? I mean, this is getting way too obvious. The pattern from the 1930s into World War II is becoming way too obvious. Uh, the industrialized West is not nearly as strong as it used to be. The people are much weaker. They're much weaker. I talked the other day about the psychology of the United States, of the people of the United States. As more and more of our greatest generation passes on, and more and more of their children pass on, and we embrace more and more of the American Marxist movement, more and more of, of, uh, of beating ourselves over the head over what took place 150 years ago, more and more of denying the greatness of this country, we have a huge problem. What if we do institute a draft? Do you think the people who are now looting these stores, do you think the people who are, who are involved in these gangs, do you think the people who are pushing drugs, do you think people who've had it easy we're being subsidized not to work. Do you think that they're going to even honor the draft? Do you think they're even going to honor the draft? No, they're not going to honor the draft, let alone volunteer to serve in the United States military to protect this country. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard Talib or Omar or AOC or the other Marxists in the Democrat Party ever criticize Communist China? Mr. Producer, have you ever heard them criticize Communist China? Have any of you ever heard them criticize how Communist China is murdering, raping, sterilizing, and torturing, uh, and torturing, excuse me, two million Muslims? Do you ever hear about that? This organization, CARE, which is led by somebody named Nihad Awad, sounds about right. Nihad Awad made a speech not that long ago that he hopes most of you didn't see or hear, where he insists that the capital of Israel needs to be moved back to Tel Aviv, and eventually Tel Aviv needs to move back to the Palestinians, as if it ever was. He said that recently. He's an executive director of the National CARE, C-A-I-R. This administration talks to CARE. The Department of Justice, the FBI work with CARE. The Democrat Party embraces CARE. And this is from American News. 
Representative Ilhan Omar given public servant award for courage in the face of anti-Muslim bigotry after Boebert feud. So they create this award for her. They create this award. Well, I want to give an award to Boebert, who apologized for what she said to Omar publicly and privately. But I, for, for uh, radicals and, and Marxists, it's not enough. They need to destroy you. So I want to give an award to Boebert. First of all, I want to thank her. She apologized and should have. Omar has not apologized. I'm going to give Boebert an award for her voting, which she votes to keep America strong, where she votes for the United States military, where she supports the state of Israel. But I also want to give an award to Ilhan Omar, this year's recipient of the Mark Levin Award to, the, to among the worst American Marxists, to among the worst anti-Semites, to among the worst bigots. I give the award, verbally of course, to Ilhan Omar, because she deserves it. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Well, we have a, a real war hero, <coughs> excuse me, Representative Mike Waltz, and uh, Mike Waltz is a combat veteran. Mike, how are you, sir? Good, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on and just, you know, here in the swamp trying to stop stupid from happening. Yeah, well, uh, good luck. We're going to need to bring in the infantry, which is the American people in 2022. But I'll tell you what, I know you're worried about many of these things. I've been talking about China for a very, very long time, as well as Iran. And people used to dismiss Russia, Russia. You know, what's the big deal with Russia? Uh, well, the yeah. big deal is Russia's our enemy. So um, let's take this piece by piece if we can. Let's start with uh, communist China. Mm. Um, they are now making threats and saying things in a, in a way that they have never said before to the United States of America. They have no regard for this man, I think, after Afghanistan and after this pipeline stuff. But the more they, they, and they, and they monitor us internally, and they see that this is a nation that's torn asunder by what I call these American Marxists, uh, particularly a group of them in, uh, in your house there, in the House of Representatives, they that's see right. we're, we're not serious about building up the United States military. The budget's literally flat. Uh, right. And we're not focused on it as a nation. We don't have a president who's a commander-in-chief who's talking to the American people about the threats that are rising about that. And that's all provocative, isn't it? No, it's absolutely right. And and just to put it in a little more context, look, uh, I don't think, you know, America needs a, a wake-up call. Uh, and the American people need to wake up to the fact, and here's just a couple of data points. The Chinese Navy is now larger than the United States Navy. Uh, more ships and newer ships. Uh, they are launching more into space than the rest of the world combined, including the United States. They're on track to have uh, a separate space station and a manned station on the moon uh, in, uh, within the next decade that will all be militarized uh, and prepared to attack uh, the United States. And, you know, just don't take it from us, Mark, uh, or, or even from me. Listen to President Z's speeches where he is openly talking about 
replacing the United States as a global leader, uh, replacing capitalism and democracy with their form of socialism and, and communism as the superior system. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they just launched a, a hypersonic weapon that is a first strike nuclear weapon that we can't defend against. But the thing that has me so damn mad is they're doing it with our money. It's our money that is funding their military buildup, their debt diplomacy, their Belt and Road Initiative, where they're taking up power grids and ports and airports all over the world. And, you know, between Wall Street, between Hollywood, between the sports industry, our trade deficit, which President Trump, uh, you know, uh, knew and got on top of, uh, it is historians are going to look back and say the American people and the American tax dollars funded their greatest adversary. So my call to action to so many is if you see made in China, put it down. Uh, I've, I've reached out to my financial advisor and told him to divest, uh, get us out of, uh, of investing into the Chinese economy. But we have, we have a long way uh, to go, Mark. And, you know, this is right around the corner. Um, I think case in point is what I'm calling the genocide Olympics. I was the first in the house uh, to call for a full boycott uh, not just this symbolic gesture uh, Biden just threw out of the diplomatic boycott. Like the Chinese Communist Party could care less whether a few U.S. officials come or go, but a full boycott. The U.S. corporations that stand to make millions, uh, and yes, even the athletes themselves. Uh, and the International Olympic Committee should be ashamed of itself uh, for for ignoring this genocide and ignoring the human rights abuses that are going on. And ignoring the cover-up of COVID. Uh, and to see the American flag in just a few months flying in Beijing, despite all of that, uh, sickens me in my stomach. In ways, it reminds me of the 1936 Olympics. You know, uh, and this isn't to, in any respect, um, great parallels with the Holocaust, but I'm talking about the rise of this regime, mm-hmm. the rise of um, uh, the, the, the fact that the West is really feckless it's it's it, it, it's like uh, they're like ostriches their head is in the sand i mean right. yeah one group the women's tennis associations that's standing up well where's the men's tennis association where are those tough guys on the nba and the nfl where are any of these that's people right. and i think uh what i would say mike waltz is the american corporations not all are the most un-american corporations let me put it this way the most un-american businesses in american history you're exactly right. They're funding the enemy. Uh, they get subsidized, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's professional sports, whether it's Wall Street. I go even yep. further. Colleges and universities, politicians in this country. I've never seen anything like this. We see the growing threat. We should learn from history. China's making no bones about what they intend to do. They're threatening Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam. They're obviously threatening Taiwan. They've destroyed Hong Kong. And let me ask you this. What's North Korea going to do if they see an invasion of Taiwan with a, 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 a really a useless response from the United States? You think they're going to sit on their hands when it comes to South Korea? Well, I mean, what, what's North Korea? What's Iran? What's China going to do if they see in just the next few months uh, Russia invade Ukraine mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and Biden, just like Obama did the last time they did it, throw blankets and... MREs at the problem, but you know, to your point on the Olympics, 
Dictators love the Olympics. We all know what Hitler did after 1936, but fewer people realize that the last time the Ukraine was invaded, Putin invaded the Ukraine just a few months after Mm -hmm. the 2014 Olympics in Sochi because they love it because it is a propaganda platform and everybody attending the entire world is turning a blind eye to their abuses, to their authoritarianism. It emboldens them. Uh, and, uh, and I do fear for Taiwan in the wake of the Beijing Olympics, which is, which is coming in February. But just one other point, Mark, you know, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, says, well, we don't do politics. And you hear so many people, left and right, both parties, saying, well, what about the athletes and what have you? You know, let me ask you this. If the United States government had a million Muslims in concentration camps, mm-hmm. do you think those athletes would be demanding to compete? Heck no. They would be out protesting. So why is it different then if, if China is doing it? And the other piece is the IOC had no problem getting into politics throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s when they boycotted South Africa over apartheid. Not only did they not allow an Olympics in South Africa, they banned the South African Olympic team from participating anywhere for 30 years. But, you know, I guess it's okay when it comes to apartheid in South Africa, but it's, you know, for them to get involved there. But they're going to turn a blind eye when it comes to these gross atrocities that are happening all over the world, including uh, inside China. So, you know, and I think the answer is, as you and I well know, it's all about the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and the level of corruption at the IOC, I think, eclipses the World Health Organization. Uh, it's just, it's disgusting, and we're going to continue to call it out at every turn. Now, Congressman, if you have an obligation, I understand. If not, I'd like to hold you over one more segment. It's up to you. Oh, absolutely, Mark. Of course. Because I want I want to pursue some of these a little bit more. Great Congressman Mike Waltz. I'm glad he's there. We'll be right back with him. Mike Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Representative Mike Waltz is our guest, and you can tell he's quickly becoming a, uh, a star in the House among Republicans. The reason is, he's not just smart. He not only served our country, that would be enough, but he's serving it again, and he is the, uh, he's, he's in the coal mine there, and he's uh, warning people over and over and over again, and I think it's being heard except by this administration. Mike, Mike Waltz, I think this administration really doesn't know what to do because they don't want to use the military in any competent way. I'm, let, let me do it this way. I look at the state of Israel. The state of Israel now has to make a decision. They've been told by the Biden administration, do not strike Iran. Right. And yet they need to have the surprise of offensive attack if they're going to defeat a, a country like this. And so they have to make a decision, their survival or the survival of the relationship with the current U.S. government. I mean, it's, it's preposterous, don't you think? Yeah, no, it absolutely is, Mark. And what you're seeing is, you know, the same team that was around Obama is now around, uh, around Biden. I call it the, the O'Biden team. Uh, and, you know, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, Blinken, Feiner, Austin, all of them. Uh, these are the same you know, the same individuals who thought it was a great idea to do the trade for Bergdahl, 
uh, you know, I had to lead the search for him on the ground as a, as a special operator. And we got people killed. Uh, the Iran deal was a good, you know, was, was a good deal. Uh, the full withdrawal from Iraq with nothing left behind. We get the ISIS caliphate, you know, the opening with getting nothing returned to Cuba and Venezuela. So, so the whole world knows it. Um, these were all acolytes of Susan Rice and of John Kerry, who both of which, by the way, still have offices in the West Wing and are lurking around. Uh, and, uh, and, their, and their foreign policy, regardless of the region of the world, is underscored by two fundamental flaws. Number one, the United States of America is more of a problem than it is a solution and therefore needs to be pulled back. And number two, if we can just concede enough and be nice enough and turn our other cheek enough that that our adversaries will be nice back to us and will come to the table. And you and I well know uh, that authoritarian regimes, whether it's the Iranian regime or Putin, are emboldened by perceived weakness. They're deterred by strength. Uh, and, and right now they just smell weakness in the White House. And, Mark, you know, I was just out at the Reagan uh, Library for the Reagan Forum, and um, it was Brett Baer and, 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 and Hemmer and others, and it was just such a reminder of why we need moral clarity, clear red lines, and a clear denunciation of the costs uh, if you cross the United States. Uh, and, uh, and we're getting none of that right now, and we're going to see none of that in Biden's call with Putin tomorrow. Uh, and <laughs> if there's ever a time to pull in the principles of Reagan, to, of, of strength, you know, the peace is kept through strength. Uh, it's now, and, and it's no doubt that the world is on fire uh, once again, just as it was under Obama, we're now with the same team and around Biden. And, you know, we talk about Reagan. The problem is Biden was around then, and Biden opposed Reagan on everything, on everything. So you have him. You even have McCain, who I didn't agree with about much, but he says Blinken should never be Secretary of State, and he'd fight like hell to stop him. Blinken is, is a disaster. This guy Sullivan is a disaster. Obviously, yeah. Biden is a disaster. Kamala Harris has some some uh some issues boy that's uh, that's a separate issue we have probably a, a in my view the weakest brass at the pentagon in my lifetime absolutely the weakest to leave american citizens in afghanistan afghanistan is uh, is really one of the things i mean other than the election of biden himself is certainly one of the things that is uh provoking these uh, enemies don't you think well, if you look at what's going on uh, right now with the, with the most massive buildup on the Ukrainian border by, by Putin and Russia, uh, and potentially, I think likely, uh, the, the most significant ground invasion in Europe since World War II, it's no coincidence that it's happening under Joe Biden. The last time they got away with it was in Crimea with Obama-Biden. It's no coincidence that it happens in the wake of Afghanistan. There's no coincidence that it's happening in the wake of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline coming on by, online, which you know Biden essentially allowed to happen uh, because they know, Putin knows in the winter, uh, that he can starve Ukraine of gas uh, and then he can hold Germany and others hostage uh, by threatening to starve them, by starve them of gas. And, and Biden, has, has, you know, Mark, he's, he's allowed all of this uh, to happen. So this, you know, I, I really think uh, he is on the precipice of becoming the Neville Chamberlain uh, of American history. 
um, where just concession after concession, just as Neville, Neville Chamberlain shrugged his shoulders and turned his back on Czechoslovakia, on Poland, walked down the line, eventually it was France, Great Britain, and threatening the United States. You know, and I, I think we need to really explain this because to, you know, everyday Americans just trying to get their kids off to school, you know, in Daytona, Florida, um, you know, why does Ukraine matter? Well, it matters because we are on a slippery slope uh, to total world chaos, and the Iranian regime's watching, the Chinese are watching, uh, <laughs> and certainly uh, other dictatorships around, uh, around the world are watching, uh, and uh, the North Koreans are watching, and, and this, is, this is what we're about to get. You know, the difference is we, we have Neville Chamberlain as an example, what not to do, right? He did not have Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> Here's the thing. We signed onto a deal that people never talk about. I've been watching the news media late at night. We signed the 1994 Budapest Memorandum with the Ukrainians, as did the Russians and the, and the British. And Ukraine had the third largest nuclear armaments after the breakup of the Soviet Union of any country on the face of the earth, more than France, China, even, even Britain combined. So in order to give up those weapons, a deal was made with Russia, Great Britain, and the United States to protect Ukraine's sovereignty and independence and its safety. 1994. That's right. It gave up its nuclear weapons. Now it has a, a very, I mean, compared to Russia, a very limited uh, conventional force, in part due to us, quite frankly, not willing to give them offensive weaponry. And uh, Ukraine is, is, is naked, pretty much. And so when people say, I heard a news guy say, somebody I like, we have no obligation. What are you talking about? They signed that deal because we urged them, and the Russians agreed to it. No, you're absolutely right. In the, in, in the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1990, there was a huge concern about some of its satellite um, uh, you know, some of its satellite states, Belarus, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, uh, where the Soviets had, had placed, in, uh, you know, part, portions of their nuclear arsenal. Uh, it wasn't 100% clear, you know, really who was in charge in Russia for a few years, much less in these satellite states. And so uh, the largest portion outside of Russia was in Ukraine. Uh, the United States leaned heavily on this brand new government and democracy to do the right thing and uh, give up those nukes with the promise, the solemn promise uh, from the United States and Great Britain that we would defend their territorial integrity. Uh, and, you know, again, it's a, it's a classic and tragic example of, of no good deed goes unpunished. The U new Ukrainian government did the right thing. Uh, and Barack Obama broke that promise uh, when, uh, when Putin invaded Crimea uh, and invaded U eastern Ukraine. And we literally, again, threw blankets at the problem and uh, MREs at the problem and wouldn't give them a single bullet, much less uh, a missile. But you know who did was Donald Trump, mm -hmm. who gave them anti-tank missiles, who gave them lethal aid, who really stepped in. And despite all the, you know, uh, Russiagate and all the accusations that he was an agent and uh, you know, all of that nonsense, it was Donald Trump who, who stepped in, not only in Ukraine, but in Syria, more Russians died uh, as they tried to attack our forces in Syria under Donald Trump than in any other president 
uh, in the Cold War when 300 Russian mercenaries, uh, you know, uh, met the United States Air Force when they tried to attack our special forces. So, but you're right that you know Putin once again knows the same weak crowd uh, is, is back in charge. He's doing this because he knows he can get away with it. He's doing this because he knows for sanctions and other responses to really bite you have to uh, be on the same page as the Europeans. Uh, the sanctions only work if they are hit with dollars and euros. And as long as he's holding Western uh, Europe hostage now in the middle of winter with its gas uh, through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, uh, he knows he'll fracture NATO and get away with it. So what do we do now? I think I know what we do now. I know what Reagan would have done now. Why don't we learn from Reagan and so forth? He would arm the Ukrainians up to the teeth. And he would do it starting right. right now, and he would do it 24-7. You don't have to go to war directly with the Russians. If they're going to invade the Ukrainians, give them half a chance to defend themselves and to inflict harm on the Russians. Now, if the Russians think that's an act of war, that's their problem. The fact of the matter is they're building hypersonic weapons, too. The fact of the matter is they're in the North Pole. The fact of the matter is they're flying their bombers off our coast. The fact of the matter is they're very, very aggressive right now. And it just seems to me... Uh, either we step up here, we're going to have these constant challenges taking place. We have about two minutes. You go ahead. Well, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, the bottom, what do we do now? We turn Ukraine into a porcupine. Uh, and the biggest thing they've been asking for is air defense uh, weapons, is stinger missiles. I want to be clear. I don't think you're calling, and, and nor am I, for American, you know, hundreds of thousands of American boots on the ground uh, defend Ukraine. But there's a lot we can do to help them defend themselves. But the key market. No, the opposite. I'm saying we give we give these people the ability to defend themselves with our with no, weaponry. No, I'm saying that, the yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But that message needs to be delivered right now. We need to get yep. inside Putin's calculus today that the costs are going to be high. Don't do this. And instead, I think you're going to have this just kind of you know, lack of better term, weak sauce uh, phone call tomorrow that Putin ironically is going to use. To his advantage, he's going to say, the President of the United States asked me not to do this, and I did it anyway. Uh, so if you're not prepared to put those, that strength and that clarity on the table, don't have the call, because it's actually going to do more harm than good. Congressman, keep up the fight. We, uh, we, we'll, give yes, you your, we'll give you the air cover here. And God bless you for everything you've done and you do. Thank, thank you very, All right, very Mark, much. Mark, well, this country's worth fighting for. Thanks so much. Amen. You take care of yourself, too. That's a real man right there. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Serious things going on in this country and in this world. I don't mind people talking about these other things going on, but what's the obsession with these other things? Why do we care about the Cuomo Andrew's under criminal investigation. That's good. Chris Cuomo is going to duke it out with other reprobates from CNN, including the top reprobate, Jeff Motherzucker. Okay, great. But our enemies are poised. Our enemies are on the move, both within and outside the country. And um, I've reminded you many times, you know, the Roman Empire lasted a thousand years. Are we going to last a thousand years? Because if Xi has his way, we're not. Xi now has a port in our hemisphere, in South Africa. 
the communist Chinese. Remember the Monroe Doctrine? Anything that occurs in our hemisphere is our business. Remember what Secretary of Insanity, the State of Confusion, John Kerry announced? He announced if their president, if their president, Secretary of State after Secretary of State, regardless of party, embraced the Monroe Doctrine, he said the Monroe Doctrine essentially said is null and void. It's no longer an American policy or doctrine. I don't know why people vote for Democrats. It's an amazing thing. Do they want to send their sons and daughters off to war? Do they mind that the border is wide open and killer drugs are coming across in enormous amounts like we've never seen before? Do they want economic dislocation? Do they want racial strife? Why do you vote Democrat? I don't understand. Those of you who do. It's it's really shocking to me because they've exposed themselves. They're fully out of the closet. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, You know, let me just say this. People always wonder, why didn't we get a heads up about Pearl Harbor? Why, why didn't we really pay attention to what was going on in Germany or, or uh, Tokyo? Or, well, why aren't we paying attention today? I don't mean you and me, obviously. But the entire Washington edifice is just so out of control. It's so rogue. It's so self-centered. We have the most, as I said to uh, Congressman Waltz, but I've said to you before, we have the most un-American and disloyal major businesses in this country. Not all of them, obviously, but a whole hell of a lot of them. A whole hell of a lot of them. Now, I want to know, again, why Comcast is keeping Joy Reid on the air. I want to know what the answer is. She doesn't get ratings. She's not a news person. She's an opinion person. Okay, fine. But she's a racist. And she's a bigot. What's the difference? Look it up. There's slight differences. But for her, she's both, in my view. I want you to listen to what she said the other day about Republicans and their pro-life views. Because nothing you can say that she disagrees with can be based on integrity, an intellectual disagreement, principle, morality. You disagree with uh, Joy Reid, you're a racist. In her mind. Well, that makes her a racist. Makes her a bigot. And such a stupid buffoon. I don't care what school she went to. Such a stupid buffoon. Who just has her foot on the gas pedal of racism all the time. I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is as I said, she's uh, Louis Farrakhan in uh, women's clothing. 
Cut seven, go. Republicans love to say that they're pro-life, but the more accurate term is that they're pro-birth. Because once that baby is born, they stop caring. And depending on the color of your skin, they may not even see you as fully human. Now, what well, now what kind of a... You believe that, Mr. Producer? I mean, it's truly shocking that she, that she can say this sort of thing without any circumspection, without being held to account. She can just say this. So depending on the color of your skin, they, Republicans, may not see you as fully human. Now, does this not encourage violence? Does this not encourage hatred? You better believe it does. This is sickening. Let's start from the top again, Mr. Producer. Go ahead. Republicans love to say that they're pro-life. But the more accurate term is that they're pro-birth. Because once that baby is born, they stop caring. And depending on the color of your skin, they may not even see you as fully human. Unbelievable. Go ahead. If they did care about children after they're born, they would be supporting universal health care. So in other words, if you're not a Marxist or even even something less than that, if you don't embrace the Democrat agenda, then you don't care about people uh, who are not like you. You get the argument? There is no argument. It's an attack. Go ahead. Social services, food for kids whose families can't afford it, fully funding education and, and gun reform so kids don't have to do mass shooter drills at school. They would support you got the it? bill. You got it, folks? If you don't embrace this agenda... You're racist. And you don't care about babies either, if they're not white. So why is she on the air? Let's go to cut eight. Go. But pro-life, really? The more appropriate slogan, in my humble opinion, is anti-choice. As the same party passes regressive policies that harm women, children, and families by taking choices away from them. Or maybe it's pro-death. As this party does nothing about kids getting massacred in classrooms while siding with a virus that mutates and has killed nearly 800,000 Americans. Many of them children. What, what kind of a mentality, what kind of a stupid, low IQ mind mentality is that? So you people who, who support vaccines that oppose tyranny, you're siding with the virus. You're siding with the virus. Unbelievable. And you're not pro-life anyway. You're anti-choice. So where's the science in that? What is in the womb exactly? A chocolate chip cookie? What is it? But nonetheless, it's not that she can't disagree. Obviously, she can disagree on every point she wants to make. But it's what she says. It's what she says about the people with whom she disagrees. She is a hateful, angry radical. That's all she is. She is a soapbox yeller. That's all she is. She doesn't bring anything substantive to the table, ever. Ever. So my question to you folks is, who have Comcast, how much longer are you going to put up with this? You know, they use their money to affect what happens here and elsewhere, and I'm really focused on her. She's got a, a sidekick by the name of Tiffany Cross who's doing her very best on Saturday to be just like her. And so what you're going to see is the zombie-like effect. 
because Comcast, NBC, MSNBC are not managing their business. Or maybe this is their business. Now I want to move to another person. George Soros. If the Republicans take control of the House of Representatives, if they do that, should they not hold hearings on what George Soros is doing to our country? At a minimum? With these phony prosecutors? Should they not? Just because somebody's elected prosecutor doesn't make them a prosecutor if they're not going to prosecute. Yes, they should. They should find out about all his his internecine activity, the intertwining uh, organizations and front groups that he has set up. Absolutely. Maybe look at his tax returns, the way they, they keep insisting on looking at Donald Trump's tax returns. The guy's got $20, 25000000000 billion. But you see, all he does is he funds the Democrat Party and revolution in the United States of America because he thinks it's profitable. It's a very evil man in my view. Very evil man. So how does he get away with this? How about this guy Mark Elias? Are they going to hold hearings on him and deny attorney-client privilege and attorney confidentiality and violate various codes of ethics for attorneys in order to get to the bottom of what he's been doing? including destroying election law in a variety of states, undermining our federal constitution, in my personal view, in order to push his agenda? Will the House Republicans do that, I hope? They must. They must get to the bottom of what's going on here. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. The Department of Justice is not the Department of Justice, it's the Department of Injustice. It's been thoroughly politicized by Merrick Garland, who is a disgusting disgrace. Still hasn't withdrawn that memo targeting parents at school board meetings where he has no federal authority and where they conspired with not only the National School Board Association, but the NEA. White House staff, Department of Justice, and others, Department of Education, conspired against the parents. As I figured they must have, it just went too fast. Merrick Garland is very busy now trying to destroy the Tenth Amendment in the states. If a state decides that no abortions after 15 weeks, Merrick Garland goes to court. If a state decides it needs to strengthen its voting laws after the pandemic, given what took place in 2020, Merrick Garland takes them to court. On redistricting, if a state decides that, you know, it's got a bigger population, it's a red state, and maybe there ought to be more red congressional districts, Merrick Garland now goes to court today. And his argument is basically, uh, you're trying to cut out minorities. What Merrick Garland's worried about isn't minorities. What Merrick Garland is worried about is too many Republicans in the House of Representatives. He's got an absolute radical nut job who's in charge of the Civil Rights Division. Her name is Clark. We've talked about her before. You can Google her. Another bigot. She'd have a wonderful slot there. Prime time on Comcast's MSNBC network. 
And they wrap themselves, they do, in civil rights. They wrap themselves in, in voting, in defending the black vote and the Hispanic vote. They don't have to defend that vote. They don't have to defend any vote. Nobody's trying to deny anybody anything, except the Democrats who are trying to overwhelm the system and break the back of the system. And they're pretty damn close to doing that in every front. But here he is, self-serving, self-righteous, egomaniacal, narcissist, a reprobate who managed to hide behind a black robe for so many years, and now he's the head of the Department of Justice, taking on the state of Texas, not the state of California, not New York, no, Texas, the biggest Republican state. Cut 15, go. Uh, Today, the Justice Department has filed suit against the state of Texas for violating Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. As the Supreme Court has observed... So now what he'll do is he'll talk about what it says in the Act. It's the Voting Rights Act in 1965, Civil Rights Act. There were two of them, 64, 65, and then subsequent add-ons. But anyway, he's going to tell you what it says, what the Supreme Court has said, and then attack Texas. Go ahead. ...of our democracy is that, quote, voters should choose the representatives, not the other way around, close quote. Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act requires that state voting laws, including laws that draw electoral maps, provide eligible voters with an equal opportunity to participate in the democratic process and elect representatives of their choosing. The complaint we filed today alleges that Texas has violated Section 2, by creating redistricting plans that deny or abridge the rights of Latino and black voters to vote on account of their race, color, or membership in a language minority group. Now, what's all that mean? What's all that mean? means they took the statute and they took Supreme Court precedent and they threw it at Texas. They threw it against the wall like darts. And they're hoping that they get a positive decision. If they don't, they've created a rhetorical basis for trashing the court, blaming it on the conservatives of the court, and on and on and on. Now we get the next radical kook, the Associate Attorney General of the United States. That's the number three slot. And her name is Gupta. Benita Gupta, who should never have been confirmed. She's another radical nut. Cut 16, go. Our complaint today alleges that the redistricting plans oy, approved oy, oy. by the Texas... I mean, Texas I know my voice isn't the best, but what's she doing? Inhaling uh, helium? Start from the top again, please. Our complaint today alleges that the redistricting plans approved by the Texas state legislature and signed into law by the governor will deny black and Latino voters an equal opportunity to participate in the voting process and to elect representatives of their choice in violation mm. of the Voting Rights Act. Our complaint also alleges that several of those districts were drawn with discriminatory intent. Texas's 2021 redistricting plans were enacted through a rushed process with minimal opportunity for public comment, without any expert testimony, and with an overall disregard for the massive minority population growth in Texas over the last decade. You see, that's what it's about. Got it? Democrats. The border's wide open. People are coming in illegally into states like Texas and Arizona, being moved into states like Florida, Republican states. And they want to turn them blue. Once people get here, they want to give them amnesty. 
even when the states are still Republican, when they want to set the congressional districts, then they sue. Then they sue. Massive minority representation in Texas. This is all uh, propaganda, is what it is. It'll be supported by the Democrat Party media, who will have no facts. It was a rushed process, she says. The issue isn't whether it's a rushed process or a slow process or anything of the kind. The issue of whether there is a discriminatory purpose or outcome. That's the issue. Now, they, have no, uh, they haven't taken any depositions. They don't have, they're bringing a lawsuit. <clears throat> Some of you, whether it's a divorce or something like that or an accident, you know that people can plead whatever they want to, pretty much. They can plead somebody did this, that, and the other, and, uh, and then you have to prove in court that you didn't. Or they can plead that uh, you made a turn when you shouldn't have made a turn. Again, you've got to fight it in court. So this is a pleading. And for the Department of Justice, it's a press release. That's why they're holding a press conference. Go ahead. Texas's population grew by 4 million people from 2010 to 2020. And 95% of that growth came from minority populations. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't believe that's true. I'm sure a significant percentage of that growth came from people leaving California and other states and going to Texas. But I haven't researched it. But they'll have to prove it. But so what? So what? Go ahead. Despite this significant increase in the number and proportion of eligible Latino and black voters in Texas. All right, that's enough. You get the drill. I just want you to understand, again, this is a plaintiff's brief. It's filled with all kind of uh, racial allegations and insinuations against the Republicans because it's a Republican governor and legislature. Uh, all kinds of racial conclusions. And this is why, in many respects, this department brings these kinds of lawsuits. That's why they bring these kinds of lawsuits. Now, it's interesting to me that this is the same party that denies Latinos and, uh, and blacks uh, school choice. What's that all about? Isn't that a civil right that's being violated? You would think it is, right? But they don't care about that. They want power. So this was passed, the 1965 Civil Rights Act, for, for a really crucially important purpose. When you had states that were purposely uh, creating these congressional districts that could be, you know, you've seen them. They, they, they look like an octopus, or they look like, uh, I don't know, they look like what used to be on... Gorbachev's forehead or something like that in order to exclude minority votes or to put all minority votes in one or two districts so as not to affect other districts and maintain them as mostly white. It's a very tricky business because no matter what the Republicans, whether they're in Pennsylvania or Texas or Florida, wherever they are always accused of racism. And that's how the Democrats, when they run the Department of Justice, like this most corrupt outfit, headed by Merrick, that's how they use the 1965 Civil Rights Act. Not in an earnest way, but in a purely Democrat Party way. What a stinking, rotten Department of Justice under this clown. I'll be right back. 
Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Folks, please don't forget, I don't know why Amazon's doing this. They're subsidizing to you the purchase of my book. It's unbelievable, American Marxism. It's 50% off, $14. If you haven't purchased your copy, now, please, now is the time. If you need another Christmas gift, now is the time. If you're just a patriot who wants to spread the word, you want to hand it out to some people, now is the time. American Marxism, the number one book of 2021, is 50% off at Amazon.com. If you order it right away, you'll get it in a day or two. And I'd like to encourage you to jump in, both feet. A Time for Choosing was a speech that Ronald Reagan gave in 1964 on behalf of the Barry Goldwater campaign. Reagan had been, as you know, a fairly liberal FDR Democrat. Then he saw the underside of, of this left-wing movement in Hollywood. He saw how communists had infiltrated it. And he said, no, that's not me. I'm a patriot. He became quite an intellectual, as a matter of fact. He read very deeply and often, which is why they attack him. And uh, Ronald Reagan gave this speech at Time for Choosing. And in many respects, it made what would become his political career. It started it. Now, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I am going to play a couple of minutes. And here's what I want you to listen for. How prescient Ronald Reagan was. How prescient Ronald Reagan was. And I'm concerned, by the way, that the Reagan Library has taken some turns now. And it's not living up to the Reagan legacy. I campaigned for Reagan in 76 and 80. I can't think of a single board member there who did. In fact, it looks to me like that board is being cleaned out without, with, other than a handful of board members of true Reaganites. And I'm concerned because I bring thousands and thousands of people to that library. I want people to remember Reagan, but they're trying to turn him into Gerald Ford and George W. Bush. And part of the problem is, and I'm going to spend some time on this tomorrow with Rick Grinnell, that the chairman of the board over there is also the CEO of the Washington Post. And somehow they've hijacked the Reagan library, but that's that for another day. The great Ronald Reagan. Now listen carefully, again, for his prescience. Cut 18, go. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Now it doesn't require expropriation or confiscation of private property or business to impose socialism on a people. What does it mean whether you hold the deed to the, or the title to your business or property if the government holds the power of life and death over that business or property? And such machinery already exists. The government can find some charge to bring against any concern it chooses to prosecute. Every businessman has his own tale of harassment. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government and freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, 
a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's own old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the Great Society, or as we were told a few days ago by the President, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past, and among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print. These are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government. This was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those Founding Fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't sound very different from what I say here, for which I am called a right-winger. And the reason is, some of you are too young to know this, Ronald Reagan was constantly under attack. The Republican establishment said he couldn't win. They blocked him every time he tried to become the nominee of the Republican Party. 1968, California got behind him. He was blocked. He didn't make a big push then, but he did in 1976. And the Fords and the Bushes and all the rest, they rallied to stop him. 
They succeeded, but they almost failed. There's a sitting president, not by election, but by appointment, Gerald Ford. Fairly liberal on many issues. But he wasn't the kind of politician that people were going to rally around. Even facing Jimmy Carter, he lost. It's not a put-down, it's just reality. And so is this wing, it's not even a wing, it's this part of the Republican Party that's controlled the Republican Party, really since, um, since post-Coolidge, I would say, since after Coolidge, except for two changes. Coolidge himself before, three rally, Reagan and Trump. Trump has his own character, his own personality, the way he pushed back. And I understood it 100%. 100%. And I understood what he was trying to do. And so much of what he did. Reagan had his own character, his own personality, did it his way. But they tried to take Reagan out when Iron Contra. They wanted to impeach him. They wanted to destroy him. They were always looking for opportunities. Now why? It's because of that message. That message. Americanism, unalienable rights, freedom, individualism, faith, family, America number one. It's the message they hate. And they hate the people who support it. But look how prescient he was about who the enemy in this country actually is. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let's take some calls as we finish up today's program. Let's see. Uh, Let us go to um, Barb. Shelton, Washington, Sirius Satellite. Barb, is that you, Barb? Hi, yes, it is. Well, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I just called to let you know that I'm all with you. I've been listening to you for the last couple of years, and I'm active with... Everything that you're active with, and I'm in a blue state that is crazier than heck, and we're trying to do whatever we can. There's lots of us that are trying to do what we can to stop all the the stuff that's going on. It's tough. I remember when you had two Republican governors. Now you got a whack job governor, absolutely out of his mind. Down for almost two years now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just it's. Crazy, crazy. But anyhow, I just wanted to let you know that we appreciate you. We listen to everybody I know that is in, you know, what we feel. Listen to everything you have to say. Thank you. And we're proud to try to do what we can. It just seems like there's nobody. We kind of need direction, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like it's going every which way instead of everybody getting together and fighting together is what I see we should do. But I'm an older person, so that's that the way I look at us. things. Um, well, have people look at Chapter 7 of American Marxism. It's in the library, I assume. So just tell them to take a look at that. That might help in organizing. And Barb, have a Merry Christmas. Take care of yourself. Let's continue. Let's go to Brad, Tampa, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Brad, go right ahead, please. 
Uh, good evening, Mark. It's Brett. Nice to talk Brett, to you. Brett, what a voice, Brett. I, um, I just had some bothering. It just bothers me, and I just don't ever hear the media talk about it at all. But I, I'm sure you recall the billionaire investor, Kyle Bass. He he talked about it. He dropped a, a major bombshell on the country. about It's about, about been about six months ago. And, no, and what did he about, do? I didn't hear. Well, he, he talked about um, how every American right now should be worrying and how the Biden administration isn't doing anything about it. And mm-hmm. in his, in his, doing anything uh, about what? Well, what it was was he was um, he was on a flight over in the Devil's River region of the Lone Star State, Texas, and he was um, found out that there's a Chinese military general turned billionaire who. All right. Uh, thanks for your call. A Chinese military general owns part of Texas. I think he dialed the wrong number, Mr. Producer. I don't mean to be rude. I just don't have time, folks. Please, there's so much crap hitting the fan. So much we need to focus on. We don't have to embrace conspiracies and goofy stuff. Uh, the Chinese government is bad enough. And when we create a, uh, an impression that were kind of uh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, uh, then we undermine everything else we stand for. So uh, I did that as a public service. <clears throat> Sorry. Not to be rude. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and I salute you. I'm blessed by you great patriots out there. We have one another. We can always count on one another. I hope you'll grab your copies of American Marxism from Amazon before they jack the price up. And I'll see you tomorrow. Be well, be safe, be healthy, and God bless.